gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. My the remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Meredith Gooderham, senior producer at Caspian Studios, and you're listening to Remarkable. This week, we're wrapping up season three by highlighting the top strategies of some of the brightest minds in content marketing out there. We'll hear from folks at companies like G2, Deal, and Gigster as they share their insights on how to be successful in the B2B world today. Getting us started is Kim Corvoisier, Senior Director of Content Marketing at Lob, the only direct mail automation platform for the digital age. I believe in creating content for humans and then like optimizing the hell out of it for SEO so that when a human like finds it, it's actually valuable. You know, there's such an overwhelming amount of information out there on the interwebs and in my DNA. I just don't want to add to the noise. If I'm going to spend my time and my effort on something, I want it to be valuable. I want it to be something I'm proud of. And, you know, if someone listens to our content or they read an article or a blog and they've gotten some nugget out of it, something they can do in their job better, makes them a better, you know, employee or helps them do their job better, right? That's a win for me. Content isn't always a short game. And sometimes I feel like other parts of the organization expect it to be like, it's just like a light switch and you flick it on. It's like, okay, we've got leads and pipeline, but it's not always that literal. You know, you can't always realize, you know, those closed deals like in the same quarter, it's a longer play. And here's Jillian Jacob Kieser, director of content marketing at Circle CI, the industry standard CI/CD platform that lets teams build and deliver great software quickly and at scale in the cloud or on your own infrastructure? Since the beginning, I've always thought that the work that we do as content marketers is sort of a blend of art and science. And so, you know, the science is like good storytelling, SEO, you know, like discoverability, all that kind of stuff, channel balance. But the art piece is thinking about the people. And for me and for Circle CI, it's been thinking about building trust with our audience. So always being there having content in as many places as possible for free, just trying to give away as much useful information as we can, organize information so people can understand it better, help give them, you know, paradigms or frameworks for understanding the industry, how to grow as a software engineer, all these things, and being really useful and really thoughtful and memorable so that we have the content that people are sharing. So when we were smaller and didn't have the domain authority that we have now, we were really banking on utility. So can we invest a lot in these single pieces of content that people would share and share and share and share because there was nothing better than it. So once you saw it, you would have to pass it on to someone. We did a few things like that. One was our engineering competency matrix. I worked with our engineering team and our engineering leadership and our design team for like six months 
And we open sourced our entire competency matrix and wrote about how we developed it. And that's a document that is like five years old. And it's a Google, an open Google Docs. Every time I go on there, there's still like 12, you know, anonymous raptors on there. Just like using the content. And that was worth it because it was a valuable resource. And that's been a great marketing strategy. It's, you know, sort of free <laughs> besides all the investment of creating it. But being useful, I think, is a sort of an underutilized strategy. Next, we have Anya Simich, Director of Content Marketing at Payroll and Compliance Provider, Deal. We think a lot <laughs> about content strategy at Deal. So obviously, since I, I was uh, the first person to join the team, content has been one of the biggest pillars of Deal's marketing strategy as a whole. I like to think of it as response to your prospects or person at any stage of finding the solution process. So the readiness to purchase is very important when you think about content marketing, because you need to basically answer every single question that all the people who are looking at your product have. Basically, it's like, you know, the marketing funnel, right? So you have top of the funnel and content you produce there is just informational. It's educational. It's talking about the topic that your product is connected to, right? So it's a lot about, you know, what is articles or, you know, listicles, the lighter content that as you move closer to the middle of the funnel, your content needs to be a bit more product heavy. So it needs to talk about specific solutions, specific questions that your prospects may have. But not all of it has to be salesy and pushy because they're just considering, they're exploring their options. So they're looking at competitors, they're Googling, you know, best product for XYZ. They're turning to their colleagues, to their network to get recommendations. And then the very bottom of the funnel is where you really like push them off their edge. Like they're really thinking about it. They're considering your product. They know enough about it. So if you combine a very specific need and very specific, and this is where it gets really targeted, like pain point or whatever it is, you pitch them your own product. You explain why your product is the best in the industry or best for that problem. So that is how we think about content strategy. And on top of that, yeah, I think you need to be really flexible when it, because the markets change, the business landscape change, the economic factors change, right? So what you devise as a plan for this year might not work next year because we are living in very uncertain times. We don't know how next few years are going to look like. So being lean and flexible is, I think, the right way to address any strategy, but content strategy in particular. We also heard from Gigster's Vice President of Marketing, Martha Avilas. Gigster is a smart software development service that combines top developers, designers, and product managers with artificial intelligence to build your project. It's really about understanding our pain points of our customers. What are they looking for? What are they struggling with? Something that was really interesting to me when I joined <laughs> is that the sales team would say, Martha, our customers have money, but they don't know what they want. And I was like, what? Like, I, I was kind of dumbfounded by this concept. I now realize I was just being short-sighted. Often our customers are not technical, right? Our content strategy, even though we're delivering really technical things, we need to make sure that we're zoomed out enough to talk to people about what are the problems they're trying to solve? How does it help your business go to market faster? How does it help you save money? How does it help you add value to your business and not necessarily 
the speeds and feeds of like AI, Web3, all these super technical things. So it's been really a fascinating shift. And truly, it's about trying to put the Gigster brand everywhere. We're still learning. Where is it that people are responding to us? Is it LinkedIn? Is it other websites? Is it email marketing? It's been a really fun challenge. Then we spoke with Palmer Hutchins, VP and head of marketing at G2, the largest and most trusted software marketplace that helps you make smarter software decisions based on authentic peer reviews. Being a two-sided marketplace, it becomes a really interesting kind of way that we have things structured. So we actually, you know, serve on, on one end of the marketplace, software buyers, you know, folks like all of us who are out there using different software products, we want to learn about it. And we have a very particular content strategy and content approach for folks like that. The kernel of it is the sort of voice of customer reviews that bubble up and really provide that way in there. But from sort of a more technical SEO or content marketing perspective, we're really trying to drive those folks to the site through, you know, relevant keywords, relevant blog topics, relevant categories. Like we've, you know, got, gosh, 4,000, close to 4,000, like different software categories on the site. And so that's just helping folks contextualize and understand the landscape there. So for me, I think about the buyer, software buyer content strategy as sort of our foundation. Like that's what powers the flywheel and brings folks in. It's largely driven by our marketplace, by sort of the SEO, and then, you know, some of the content marketing that, that goes with that. As we think about the other side of our marketplace, the software sellers, the software vendors who are there, our strategy evolves. We don't do much SEO there. We do do like thought leadership, but it looks a little bit different than what it's going to be for a software buyer. We do a lot of, you know, webinars or what we call office hours, where we're just kind of like walking through some real life use cases. And then we do the occasional real, you know, deep dive report. We do have a market research team here at G2 that does a lot of like maintaining the taxonomy, all of the different categories, but then it's also kind of pulling out insights of what they're seeing happening there. And we like to make sure that our software vendors know about those those insights. So the short answer of like, what is our content strategy is we're like, it depends. If we're thinking about software buyers or thinking about software sellers, we're going to go a very different route or think about those from even from a channel lens in a very different way. And we talked with the VP of brand, content and communications at Zoom Info, Megan Barr. You probably know Zoom Info as a leader in modern go-to-market software, data and intelligence. Fundamentally, Above all, we try to just be really useful. There's so much useless content out there. First of all, there's just so much content out there, right? Like in general, I feel like we are all bombarded with content every day. And so we try to cut through the noise and just provide content that can help our audience do their jobs better. So that's like, I would say, the overarching goal of everything that we create so that people will keep coming back and clicking on our stuff. A little more specifically, our content strategy is cross-platform, multi-channel, and we're constantly pressure testing it to see what's working and what's not. So it's a mix of everything from, you know, traditional blogs, ebooks, how-to videos. We have a newsletter. We've had podcasts. We do some long-form video we're experimenting with more interactive content right now. So it's kind of a mix of a lot of different things. And we have a different approach depending on the channel. So we really try and look at what do people want to read on LinkedIn or what do they want to engage with on LinkedIn? What's the best format that we should use to deliver a newsletter? Like is email better or is 
LinkedIn a better format for delivering a newsletter? Like what's the right length of video, right? Like, so I think we're constantly just trying to look at what's doing well and why, and then how can we do more of that? Up next is Johan Reed, CEO at Embers, the global leader in spend optimization. Without trust, you can't do business. And today, buyers are really sophisticated. You know, before the information age, to get content, a buyer had to engage with brands, right? When I went and bought my first car, there was no internet. And so I had to go from dealer to dealer to dealer and fight off their salespeople and be like, no, I don't want to test drive. No, I don't want to, no, 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 leave me alone. I just want the brochure. So I could collect all the brochures and go home and read through everything and try to inform myself. Now we live in this world where that's readily available and there's so many sources of it. People have a lot of questions and they are looking for answers and content fills that gap. And if we don't produce excellent content that genuinely seeks to inform and educate and help the customer, then they're just going to ignore it and they're going to go somewhere else. And, And they're going to label us in a way that puts us in the no trust category. Hey, they're just trying to sell to me. I just feel sold to. If you can create content that authentically seeks to inform and to add value, then you start to move into the trusted advisor quadrant. The other piece of this puzzle is that we have to look at the content we create through the lens of the customer journey. I know marketers love their acronyms, Tofu, Mofu, Bofu, like all of these foo acronyms. But that's not actually how people buy. That's not how the customer journey actually works. And what's really interesting when you look at the customer journey is they'll use your asset any way they want to. (laughs) You're not in control. You might create something that you think, oh, this is a bottom of funnel asset. And they're using it at the top of the funnel to educate themselves. But you're like, oh, they're using this asset. That must mean they want to buy from me. Let me have a sales rep follow up. And we're wasting a lot of cycles. And so, you know, I think about the importance of, of looking at how content is used all throughout the customer journey, how the same piece of content might be experienced if the person is coming in early and they just want to see a product demo to get a sense for what does it even look like? I've never seen one of these before. I want to see what would it even look like for my user community to be in a system that does this thing instead of Excel, which is really different in the way a product demo gets used versus, hey, I'm now down to you and your competitors and I saw a live demo, but I want to go back through one more time and like watch these online demos to like nitpick features, right? Same demo, but for really different purposes. So if we look at the assets that we build and the content we create through the lens of what are we trying to achieve? Is this super early in the journey? Are we trying to create inception, this moment of we're having a conversation about a topic that raises an idea in someone's mind? And they go, huh, I don't even know. Is that a problem in my business? Is there an opportunity I'm missing? If we think about it from that all the way through down to what often is forgotten, which is creating materials that help justify the purchase financially that will help once you're selected, get through the audit for security and data privacy, go through all of the the rounds of justification and internal selling that have to happen, and then actually tee up the implementation. 
And that's one of the benefits of being a CXO, not just a CMO, as I was in my last job. Um, I actually get to think about the whole customer journey past the point of contracting all the way through implementation, go live, adoption, expansion, and ultimately customer advocacy. And when we think about the content that's required to get people to actually use the features of the products they've already bought, that's also typically underfunded. But that content helps ring the bell at renewal because the customer is being reminded of all the stuff that is in the product that they haven't yet implemented. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. We have dashboards we haven't even turned on yet. We should go explore those, right? Let's renew the contract. You know. But again, if we're smart about the way we look at that content, it's the same content that is used to talk to people about dashboards for the first time. And Chris Sheen, Director of Content and Social at Salonis, the global leader and pioneer in process mining. So with, with content, you know, sometimes I think we're still very much in what we call category mode. And, and category mode for us really means growing awareness of process mining. And so we're thinking of that in three ways at the moment, which I think is interesting. One is that actually the first tier of that is why processes even matter. What we've realized is when we talk to many people about process mining, they're like, okay, but you know, what are processes in my business? Where does that go? And we realize that there's a real opportunity to do that in an entertaining way. So for example, what happens to hotel soap when you leave? You know, people use those little bars of soap and then they leave and you're like, I wonder what happens to that. It's like, it turns out there's a ton of processes behind what happens next. That means that that isn't thrown in the bin when you leave. It actually turns into a really fantastic, sustainable product that goes to people who are less privileged and and kind of need soap. So things like that. And like, for example, why do delivery trucks never turn left? And it's all about processes. So we think there's a real opportunity, number one, just to educate people about processes. Tier two for us then becomes one layer deeper, which is like why process mining matters and therefore like the link to business and to kind of the the value part really of what we offer at, at Salonis. But even with that, I think one of the things that we're conscious of trying to do more of is make that relatable to wider audiences that aren't just in the, you know, the field that we're selling to and try and find more analogies that bring that to life. So one that we've, we've touched upon recently is, you know, you wouldn't pay a restaurant bill twice. So this idea of going into a restaurant and giving you the bill and then going, yeah, like $40, there you go. And then going, actually, I'll pay it again. Here's another $40. You'd never do that. But you'd be astounded by the number of times that happens in a business where invoices are paid more than once. It's incredible. Like one in 50 are paid more than once, which is crazy. And that's all again down to processes. And again, that's how process mining can help. Process mining can help stop those kind of things from happening. But how do you bring that to life through content marketing? I think it's through stories and analogies. And then the third tip for us is, you know, once you know why processes matter, once you know why process mining matters, then why why would you choose to work with Salonis? And for us, that's about brand. It's about our products, obviously, but it's really about our people as well. We want to kind of, with content marketing, show a bit more of the heart behind what we do. We have values, for example, one of our key values is Earth is our future. It's a real company value around sustainability, as many companies do, but our product can really help companies to hit their sustainability goals as well. Again, processes are a huge part of of sustainability challenges across the world. And I think that a lot of what we think about with content marketing there is how do we get that part across? How do we make us not just a a brand Salonis, but show that actually there's a real company and people behind that, that that if you are choosing a provider, you're actually going to choose those guys and bet on them. So when we think about content at the moment, we're we're thinking in those kind of three tiers and, and kind of you can see they kind of classically go a little bit deeper as you go through. Finally, we talked with Jerome Robert, the CMO and Chief of Staff at exposure management company Tenable. We spoke with him about their award-winning podcast, The Hacker Chronicles, which is produced by our team here at Caspian Studios. So uh, obviously it doesn't apply for, for Tenable, right? Because we, uh, we were able to do The Hacker Chronicles. But in other companies or in past experiences I've had, for 
campaigns that don't have a direct ROI, uh, obvious ROI, like uh, I'm going to get 100 leads out of this, or I don't know how many I'm going to have, but in the past, I have like a ton of reference points that allow me to say roughly I'm going to get like a 5% return on investment. I don't know. Uh, outside of those occurrences, marketing leaders, I think, have difficulties to convey why something is important to their leadership, right? I mean, if you don't have the ROI, the leadership is immediately going to think, okay, what's my risk? Like, what's my cost and what's my risk? If I don't have an ROI in front of that to counterbalance that risk and cost, then almost by constriction, the risk, the perceived risk is going to completely outweigh anything you could say from a accountant substance perspective, right? So it's very unusual that company accept that kind of investment. And also, when you do something that is fundamentally different than the rest of the industry, you are going to stand out, which is, as marketers, what we're looking for. But as a company that is, that is managing their risk, doing something that makes the company stand out is creates mixed feelings, right? Like they think, okay, well, that could be great from an image perspective, but, you know, if the outcomes are not what we hope for, it's a huge risk, it could backfire, and you don't have any ROI to put in front of it. So, you know, just, no, I'm not going to do it. Too much risk in being different somehow. I mean, that's something we can experience every day, I think, everywhere. And I think that's totally overstated. I think... Notably in an industry where marketing, the marketing, marketing practices are very mature and very identical from one company to another, there's very, very little downside in standing out, in doing something that is entire, entirely different. I think worst case scenario, well, except if you go into, you know, things that are completely unacceptable. And of course, you did that by mistake, like excluding minorities or, or, or things like that. But if you do something that is different from a substance perspective, but that is respectful from all of the perspectives, I mean, the worst case scenario is it's going to flop a little. It's not going to be as good as you thought and you're not going to get a lot of feedback or a lot of, lot of engagement out of it. But I don't think anyone would laugh at you or actually discard you as a company because you did something different. I think People respect that, I think. Originality, the boldness of doing stuff that are entirely different. I think people respect that. So yeah, I, I do consider those risks are overstated in general. If you want to hear more from any of today's guests, we've put links to their episodes in the show notes. And while you're at it, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll be back with more remarkable content coming at you soon in your podcast player of choice. 